Well, it's totally fine that we read ahead because we're going to read that too, so no worries. My name is Johnny Kudrowski. I'm one of the pastors at Sovereign Hope Church. I lead worship over there and lead worship here, and I'm not as clever as Tyler. I'm not as good looking as Stephen, but I will preach shorter than both of them. All right. So my kids are at this weird age where they don't really listen to music. Uh, And if they do, it's usually something between like K-pop and nursery rhymes. Um, But they like songs from a recent musical. uh, And we listen to that a lot. Like we listen to it in the car and stuff. It's The Greatest Showman. You guys know that one, right? Right? Okay. So it's this movie where we get to hear Wolverine sing. And he pretends to be a fictional version of P.T. Barnum, who is so unlike the real man that you might not entirely despise him. Um, And so anyway, the movie follows Barnum on his rags to riches journey as he takes control of his destiny and relentlessly pursues self-gratification at the cost of the well-being of everyone around him, right? And fittingly, Barnum finds his muse in a beautiful singer uh, whose song shouts from the rooftops, never enough. Never, never. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Um, So his every effort was celebrated, right? Every investment returned an increase, and every personal goal was achieved. And as Barnum comforted himself with extravagance and wealth and fame and status, he discovered how meaningless it all was. It, It was never enough. Never, never. Um, have, you, have you ever gotten exactly what you thought you wanted only to find that it wasn't enough to satisfy the longing desire of your heart? And tonight we're going to ask the question, is a life lived following Jesus worth more than my comfort? In other words, is it worth being uncomfortable for the sake of Jesus? And my goal tonight is to help you find out where you are. To find out if you're running or resting. Are you running toward comforts? Are you running away from discomforts? Or are you finding rest in a growing faith that's rooted in the gospel? Resting in Christ, his finished work in salvation and his provision for our eternal comfort has massive implications for the shape and the substance of our lives. The theologian Augustine speaks of this when he says that our hearts are restless until they rest in God. And so, whether we're comforting ourselves with our possessions or our morality or anything but Christ, our restless hearts will not be satisfied, leading us to fear and anxiety and hopelessness. Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30 offers great hope to restless hearts. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, then I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In this passage, Jesus is telling us that there is a different and a better way to live and that he's at the center of it. I asked if you're running toward comfort or away from discomfort because there's this active pursuit. There's a chasing after what will satisfy and bring pleasure or delight. 
we can order our lives around obtaining comfort. And we saw this in the passage that was read earlier uh, in the parable. It's called the parable of the rich fool. And so in Luke 12, starting at verse 15, it says this, And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So did you hear like the oddity in verse 19? And I will say to my soul, soul? (laughs) Like who talks like that? Um, Who goes to chicken strip night and says to themselves, soul, tonight you will consume all the chicken strips and have meat sweats and be merry and it will be great. I know maybe you do. Uh, but in reality, we pursue like everything that we consume or experience this way. We perceive them to be soul needs. My soul will be happy if I have this, if I was this. The truth is we speak to our soul all the time. Soul, if you get an A, you'll make it in life. If I get this job, I'll feel secure. If these people notice me, I'll be in. We talk to our soul all the time. And no one talks to your soul more than you. And that's what's up for grabs here. Our very souls. Jesus has our hearts pegged in this passage. We can work hard to spend hard, right? To show off. To signal our success to the world with clothing or technology or like barns that we see in the parable. Uh, You can be sure this guy was like, hey Tim, see my new barn? pretty big, right? It's awesome. It's bigger than the last one I tore it down. But as Jesus says in verse 15, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Sometimes we can work hard to save hard. We save up just to see the bank account grow or the barn get bigger, right? But even this can bring a false security, a false hope, a prideful self-reliance and a harmful false identity that denies our dependence on God. It keeps our eyes on a temporal, fleeting salvation that we made ourselves instead of the eternal, costly salvation that Jesus purchased for us with his sacrifice at the cross. You know, the most important thoughts that we have are the thoughts that we have about God. When you think about Jesus, what he's done for you, have you ever thought about it in terms of generosity? the laying down of his earned resources so that your greatest need could be met? Man, we know this about our God. Why are we so prone not to be generous? It's not a sign of stinginess. It's a sign of cowardice. Generosity is less about money, more about a posture of our hearts before God. 
It's an unbelief in the fact that God himself will be our satisfaction. We speak to our souls and wonder if God will fail us. Our restless hearts want more proof. But how does God prove himself? When the writer of Hebrews says in verse 13.5 that God will never leave us or forsake us, how can we be sure? You look to the gospel. God can say that he'll never leave us or forsake us because as Jesus died, taking the sins of the world, Jesus was forsaken instead of us. When we were rebellious, Christ was obedient unto death. When we loved ourselves and hated God, Christ loved us and poured out his wrath on Christ. Jesus gave up his comfort so that we could remain in God's perfect comfort forever. Now, while this parable is looking at material possessions and taking a look at our problem of comforting ourselves with stuff, uh, a sinful pursuit of self-exalting comfort can find its way into our lives through many different avenues. When our lives center around preventing any measure of suffering or humiliation or awkwardness or unease, weird things can happen that disconnect us from people and from God and even from reality. Sometimes we don't have to work hard at all to pursue comfort, you know? Chasing after it at a full sprint can look like lying on the couch surrounded by empty bags of flaming hot Cheetos and like pressing play on your seventh episode of Stranger Things like for the evening. And you like still have homework. Tyler, a couple weeks ago, he, uh, he talked with us about time, time and schedules, how to prioritize the living of our lives so that we might glorify God with the minutes that we have. And now maybe you're anxiously concerned about how to find the time to seriously pursue a relationship with Christ. But perhaps the anxiety that you feel is actually comes from trying to balance pursuing Christ and pursuing boys or girls or fantasy football. Being both college students and children of the 90s, I'm sure that you've heard that drugs are bad. Right? Don't do drugs. But besides them being illegal, or like how they affect your health and your relationships and your teeth... Drugs are bad because we use them to escape reality, right? Comfort can do the same thing. Whether it's escaping a painful situation or just escaping boredom, the world around us says that there is a cure for what ails us. Pleasures, experiences, goods, and services. It's easy to fill our lives with distractions. Some distractions are more destructive than others but all can become destructively, self-centeringly addictive. And so whether it's video games or pornography or Instagram or anything else, I'm sure that you felt it. We can prefer make-believe to reality because reality, the reality is that things are messed up. People around us are messed up and we're messed up. We escape reality and think to ourselves that our lives would be better if only I... I'd be complete if she would just, if I only had one more, whatever. We look at social media and we compare our behind the scenes with other people's highlights. We stare off into the distance, creating an imaginary world that will never satisfy. Like Barnum, it's never enough, right? 
but it's because we don't realize who we are, what we already possess in Christ. We strive to create inheritances here on earth, neglecting the eternal inheritance that we possess guaranteed by the Holy Spirit through faith, like in Ephesians 1, 11 to 14. We delight ourselves with feeding our wants rather than delighting ourselves in the Lord and finding all the desires of our heart met in him. Ephesians, or Psalm 37, 4, and we escape reality when we think that even our bodies are our own. Thinking that we can pursue pleasure sexual and sexual gratification outside of God's design. But Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God. You're not your own, for you were bought with a price, and so glorify God in your body. There it is again, the generosity of God purchasing us at a great cost. Christ making himself vulnerable so that we could confidently stand before God, enduring awkward humiliation so that we could be approved by the only one whose approval matters because it matters for eternity. Suffering and dying so that we might be comforted forever. Dying to sin and living to righteousness, delighting in the glory of God's grace. At the end of the parable, Jesus says, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. What does that mean? We get an idea in Matthew six, nineteen to twenty one. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What brings you the most comfort is what you treasure most. So is Christ your treasure? Is heaven your hope? Is the foundation of your faith so sure that, like Paul in Philippians 3, that you could say, whatever gain I had, I count as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is what we rest in. This is our faith. Heaven is our hope. An eternity of worshiping God in his presence is our goal. Jesus is our treasure and our faith in him and in the reality of eternal life grows exponentially as we turn from self-sufficiently comforting ourselves in worldliness and find contentment no matter what our circumstances, seeing even our weaknesses as opportunities for the power of the gospel to be made manifest in our lives. There's an old hymn that says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim 
in the light of his glory and grace. The lies that we tell our soul, when we talk to ourselves about what we need, they vanish as the light of the gospel shines on them. Jesus knows what we need. And when we speak to our souls, denying the reality of his rule over our lives, while we construct our kingdom of comfort, he speaks to our souls with a better word that looks forward to our eternal restoration to God and his kingdom. Let's look at the rest of our passage for tonight. So Luke 12, starting at verse 22. And we're going to read through verse 34. And he said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. For it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. With a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So why do we seek comfort? Like I love the clarity of Jesus here. Uh, You see, we inaccurately see the needs of our soul and we meet them imperfectly, even sinfully. And Jesus correctly sees the needs of our soul and he meets them perfectly. We struggle with fear and anxieties and even this passage above, fear and anxieties about our health, our future, our appearance, our value, and our worth. And to Jesus' followers here, there's nothing but compassion and hope and comfort. We seek out comfort without finding it when we see our lives as a greater treasure than Jesus. But we find our comfort when Jesus is all we need. Like it says in Luke 17, 33, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it but whoever loses his life will keep it. I love the idea of a creed or a catechism, these distillations of our faith that bring definition and unity. 
to a body of believers. And one of my favorites that I found in just the last few years was written in 1563. It's called the Heidelberg Catechism, which is awesome. Um, But it's a collection of 129 questions and answers. And Christians throughout the centuries have used it in Sunday school classes or even in their own homes, committing the questions and answers to memory to both know their faith and to pass it on. That's what it's for. But the first question in the Heidelberg Catechism is really appropriate for tonight. And the question is, what is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and he has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. It's pretty good for 1563. That's awesome. So following Christ, it allows us to be comfortable in the uncomfortable, to be content no matter what. The greatest vulnerability that you've ever experienced was separation from God. But Christ became vulnerable for your sake. He became distasteful to his father so that you might be accepted and approved and receive all of the benefit that he earned. Jesus protects us from our ultimate fear and anxiety because through faith in him, we can stand before God, our judge, in confidence. And we can be courageously awkward and uncomfortable and stand before others in sharing our faith with them because we know that they won't be our judge. We can be uncomfortable for Christ. When our hearts long to see storehouses of security, wealth, and reputation, we should turn our eyes upon Jesus and see that our abundance is God himself, not the gifts that God gives us. And trusting in Christ will make us more comfortable in the world because nothing in it has to save us. As we close, I want to read these words from 1 Peter 1, 3 to 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. 
Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray together. Father God, um, we're humbled by the way that you have saved us. God, that in your goodness and in your mercy, Lord, you uh, left the comfort of heaven. You left your kingly throne. And all that was due your holy name, Lord, due to your infinite worth and perfections, God, you left it to die on a cross, to pay the penalty for our sins, to give us a hope and a future, Lord, where we could be cleansed from all unrighteousness, Lord, where we could find eternal comfort in you. Guard our our hearts long uh, to fill uh, this space up, Lord, with things that don't honor you. And so, Lord, I do pray Uh, that in all of the ways that we are tempted, Lord, that you would prove that Jesus is better. Lord, help us to uh, consciously remember the glorious story of the gospel. Lord, help us to uh, call to mind what Christ has done for us so that we can live in light of eternity now and we can live for your kingdom rather than the kingdom that we build surrounded by comfort. And God, we trust you with the outcome of all of our lives, Lord. And we want to live for you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.